Sosin, and this is Six Degrees of Innovation, a podcast that grew out of my natural curiosity and love of innovative solutions to big and little challenges. Each episode, I'll speak with someone who is making an impact in an innovative way. Listen in as we talk about what got them started, what problem they're tackling, and how it's going. This week, I'm talking to Roland Harwood. I think it's safe to say that Roland is a true Renaissance man. He's a physicist, an innovator, an entrepreneur, a musician, and he has just published a book called On the Edge, which I definitely recommend. Plus, on top of all that, he shares my love for serious play, candy bars, and making connections. In fact, that connector trait helped Roland found Liminal, a collective intelligence network with a highly engaged global community focused on innovative ways to address the climate crisis. Thank you so much for joining me today, Roland. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Rachel. What a great introduction. It's really nice to be here. Thanks. Um, I, You are, uh, in the short time that I've known you, I think I have either met someone who already knows you or met someone who I was like, oh, I need to introduce to him. Um, or, and it's just, it's, it, you, you truly do embody connector. And I, and I really love that. Um, so that's, that's sorry, great to hear. I, I, um, um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm touched to hear that. Yeah. I spend a lot of my time having, uh, reasonably random, but not entirely random, uh, conversations mm -hmm. with lots of different people. I really enjoy it. It gives me energy. It gives me ideas. Um, but it also, uh, um, yeah, we can come on to the, the pros and cons of that. But uh, yeah, that's really nice. It's been really nice to connect with you over a Toffee Crisp and some Lego series play in a pub yeah. in North London not so long ago. Yes, yes. Um, and we could probably talk about Liminal for at least an entire episode. Um, but instead, I think I am going to put a link to the website in the show notes and also direct any listeners to your book and podcast, which is also called On the Edge. Um, and I'd really like to talk to you today about OwnCo and co-ownership. Um, OwnCo is a co-ownership model that Liminal is currently testing. And um, I know we're at the, the very early stages of it, but I just think it is an interesting idea that to be fair, I don't fully understand. Um, so I want to know want to know more about how it works and what makes it different. Um, and so I think that my first question to you really comes from when you first told the community about this project, you talked about how you wanted to move away from being sort of the benevolent dictator of Liminal. <laughs> and I want to know more about what does co-ownership look like in an organization um, and what do you what do you mean when you say you want to move toward a new idea sure so um yeah ownco is a new it's a it's a berlin based company that um uh we got to know through somebody in the liminal community which just for background is Four and a half years old. There's about 120 people, and one and we focus, as you said already, on uh, climate innovation 
and collective intelligence. And one of those people, a guy called Harry, uh, lives in Barcelona, um, joined Ownco about a year ago and basically said, hey, this is an interesting company. Uh, we help communities share ownership with their contributors. Um, do you want to try this with Liminal? And so I said, sure. Um, I like Harry. I've known him for years. I trust him. Uh, and I like the sound of what he was doing. But um, in terms of what this looks like, the short answer is I don't know yet because we've literally just kind of launched it and started it. Uh, and there's a lot still to figure out. But I can explain a little bit about how that's going to work or how we think it's going to work. Um, but I guess a tiny bit of context just to slightly uh, explain the benevolent dictator kind of labeling, which I feel a bit uncomfortable with, though it is, it is I think, also accurate. Um, and I do, to be fair, I do think yeah. it is kind of positive, or at least I, maybe because I know you, I see it as a positive. Um, so yeah, let me. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Well, the benevolent bit is positive. The dictator, <laughs> yeah, not so much. But, um, fair, fair. Um, yeah, so um, th this whole, uh, I would see Ownco as sitting in a long line of experiments of self-organization, which you could date back probably to the beginnings of time, but certainly to the sort of 1960s and 70s and, you know, uh, different kind of uh, co-living situations and uh, and different kind of cooperatives and, and the rise of that kind of movement to, to more recently um, in the last few years, though the bubble has burst, the rise of kind of Web3 and blockchain and crypto and, and DAOs, DAOs are these decentralized autonomous organizations. So there's a, there's a long history behind all of this. Um, and I think I think Ownco have distilled the good bits of all of that and excluded the not so good bits into a really interesting model. And that's what we're applying. That's what we're trying. Um, in the last decade or two, there's three or four examples that stand out for me um, of organizations that have sort of moved towards co-ownership and self-organization um, that I've particularly looked to. So a Brazilian company called Semlo was very famous in the sort of 90s and early noughties, a sort of manufacturing company in Brazil that didn't have, uh, people could determine their own salary, determine um, that their own benefits, how they wanted to work, what they wanted to work on. Um, it was a very interesting experiment. Um, I don't quite know how the story ended, but uh, there was a time when it was um, talked about and it had quite a big impact on me. More recently in the last decade, more sort of digitally and technology enabled companies like Valve or Zappos have um, have had their own experiments in, in that kind of stuff. Um, and then on a personal le level, prior to founding Liminal, I founded a company called 100% Open that in different ways was very much inspired by some of these examples, influenced by open source sort of technology, open innovation, and just... Uh, sort of open collaboration in all its forms. And we were very open, very democratic, very collaborative, but it was really, really hard as well. And ultimately, I think the very collaborative nature um, of 100% Open just made more work for me and for others and made decision-making difficult and made resource allocation difficult. And so consequently, when I set up Liminal, I possibly went too far in the other direction and thought, okay, I just want to kind of control things uh, in a in a prescribed way for a period of time um, because I was still figuring out what I wanted to do and what Liminal was going to be in the early days. Um, but that was four and a half years ago. And now I think it's time it's time to kind of find a happy medium. And that's what kind of Ownco presents. So that's a little bit of the history 
maybe I'll pause there before going into describing Enco in a bit more detail. I don't know if there's anything I've just said there that wasn't clear or you want to follow up on. As I was reading about Onco, co-op was really sort of my first like, oh, this sounds like a, a co-op. Um, yeah. There are a lot of food co-ops in the US, so I'm like kind of familiar with it. Mm-hmm. But what struck me as interesting in the way you were talking about it was that you were trying to find a way to have more um, a more truly democratic approach or more um, engagement across the whole spectrum, making it a little different from the co-ops that I'm familiar with. Um, And so then I guess my question is sort of what makes this different from stock options? Um, And, um, and yeah, I'll stop there. Um, Sure. So, um, I mean, firstly, co-ops, I'm not an expert in co-ops, but somebody was telling me recently that there are millions and millions of co-ops in the world and they represent an insanely large proportion of the world's kind of economic output. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I can't remember the number, but it was a staggering percentage. And and they've been around for many years, often very small local food co-ops like the ones you mentioned, but there are some really enormous ones as well. Um, uh, and so that's an established model and it works. It really works. Um, but um, yeah, the decision-making is really interesting. And I think... Um, I I think it's a bit like an onion that the 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 layers of an onion these communities work best where you kind of peel the layers you know anyone can mm-hmm. pop into a store and buy a bag of apples that doesn't really make that much difference uh, though you are voting with your your dollars or your pounds or your euros um in terms of your purchasing but then um you know there's there's an ability to peel a layer of the onion and maybe get a bit more involved in the day-to-day running of that co-op and then once you peel through that layer then maybe you get involved in decision making and 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 you keep on peeling the layers you probably don't want to have too many layers but i remember and just to sort of continue that analogy a little bit further um i remember hearing jimmy wales the founder of wikipedia talk about decision-making within Wikipedia. This was about 10 years ago. I don't know how true this still is today, but somebody asked him a question that was something along the lines of, how does the world's best encyclopedia just emerge from anarchy, um, you know, where anybody can post anything? And he said, well, it's not as simple as that. You know, at, at one level, yes, anyone can post anything. or, or um, uh, But then there's also democracy. So we vote on stuff as a community, um, you know, when we need to. Um, but there's also meritocracy. So, you know, the best ideas, the best people kind of bubble up in the community and, and have more sway. And then there is an aristocracy. People who've been there for years and years do have a greater influence. And ultimately, if those other four modes of decision making don't work, there's monarchy. There's Jimmy Wales, who sits on top as the benevolent dictator, who, if all other modes fail, you know, the buck stops with him, which should only be hopefully less than 1% of the time. But there, there's still that kind of uh, backstop um, when when those other those other mechanisms fail. I don't know what the percentages would be, but I would say many organisations, many traditional organisations, have far too much monarchy mm-hmm. uh, and not enough anarchy, and 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 so you could debate those different kind of modes of decision making. Um, so that's kind of theoretically or, or um, structurally how I think about cooperatives, about shared ownership. So it doesn't mean sharing everything with everyone and anyone can do anything. And it's all free. That's one of the misconceptions. Mm-hmm. There should be a business model around it. You should be respectful of people's time and money. Um, 
you have to earn your your right to uh, to have decision making power and authority within that community. And um, and there's a much bigger conversation around democracy as well. It's not just a sort of one person, one vote on everything. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of recent experiments in this space have found that representative democracy actually works really well where, you know, some people have the responsibility to make decisions on behalf of the wider community. That's kind of how our political system works in the UK. And that's how a lot of these online experiments have also migrated towards rather than just giving everyone a vote. Um, so how <laughs> is this different from stock options was your last question. Um, so um, uh, I... So what we've done with Omco, maybe should I just let me just describe what I think how Omco is going to work, and then I'll I'll try and answer that question. Is that all right? Perfect. Rachel? Yeah. So so Omco is um, a mechanism whereby we can distribute. We being liminal, and me the benevolent dictator can distribute <laughs> tokens to the community, currently worth a nominal one percent of the revenue of the business. So it's a very small, but there is a financial value attributed to those tokens. Uh, then over the next six months, people can get more tokens up to potentially 20% of the company in exchange for um, three, achieving three different goals. One is attracting new members. A second is attracting new uh, and leading new uh, projects, revenue generating projects. And the third is um, community engagement and running activities or doing things that engage and involve people um, inside the community. So those first two goals attracting revenue and attractive people are very quantitative the third mm -hmm. one is a bit more qualitative um but i think it's good to have a mix of those three and so we're running this experiment these tokens do have a, a small financial value could grow to a bigger financial value and at the end of the pilot which is six months um that those tokens can be converted potentially into equity or into money um or they can just kind of sit there for people to reinvest in a number of different ways that we haven't fully determined yet um we have said because we don't have a huge amount of cash in the bank just to distribute liberally that we wouldn't convert those tokens to equity to options stock options until there was some cash in the bank and the most likely time that would be is if we took investment or if we sold the company and there's no plans to do that but you know in the future uh, those tokens would potentially convert to options and stock options i think the reason why they're different um well, I think there's lots of parallels, actually, but it's a, it's a virtual share options program. That's what the acronym is, VSOP, V-S-O-P. Um, uh, the members of the community, like you, aren't employees. Um, you're, uh, you're members of a community. Um, share options have all kinds of legal and tax implications, mm -hmm. uh, which this virtual share option scheme avoids. Um, at least for now, until they're worth something. And then, of course, there are tax and other implications that sit with that. Um, so, um, so yeah, there's lots more I could say, but um, there are definitely some parallels with kind of share ownership schemes, but it extends the ownership to the community, not just the employees. That's the key difference, I think. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, I, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that there, it also feels like there is... Um, maybe just even simply not calling them stock options uh, mm. sort of gives for the space for a, for a more um, creative and qualitative way of, um, of earning them. I think, you know, when you're, yeah. when you, when you talk about stocks, then it feels pretty cut and dry, the cash value mm. transactional, as opposed to really focusing on 
building and growing the community and, and liminal. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the worst case scenario is, uh, and and we're we're aware that this could be something, is if people just start gaming the system to get more tokens, they're not really interested in building the community. They're just interested in you know getting the the cash value. That that can and does happen with these kind of schemes. Um, so I've tried really hard with Liminal, and I think we've succeeded to build a very uh, warm, inclusive, friendly culture. Um, and so one of the big questions in launching this kind of program was how do we introduce this scheme, which essentially is an incentive scheme for people to do things that they're perhaps currently not doing as much of we'd like as we'd like them to do, recognize their contribution, you know, sharing the rewards of the value that they're creating, um, uh, but without um, sort of just putting a price on it and somehow cheapening that intrinsic motivation that people naturally have to help each other or share knowledge or all that stuff which happens today already within the community without any kind of tokens being exchanged. But I think it's really important to recognize people's contributions. And even if you can't recognize it financially today, because there's not the money to do that, but there is a, a mechanism to, 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 to thank people and reward people um, currently through tokens. And those tokens do have a value, but that, that value is also to be partly co-defined and co-designed with, with the people in the community that have um, the most tokens and the most mm -hmm. influence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like that. I do think that um, th there's something about the, 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 vibe for lack of a better word of liminal that that probably predisposes the community to being able to to use this successfully um and there is clearly such a, a commitment to the community and to growing it anyhow that this does i think you know give people sort of the skin in the game to say you know i was thinking about doing a, a workshop or i was thinking about inviting someone but now i'm actually going to really make the effort to do it. And I, I think yeah. that that's really great. Um, and I can see how this model could be really beneficial to lots of um, kind of um, like-minded organizations, I guess, you know, or, you know, organizations of like-minded people, whether it is um, uh, focused around um, action or focused around learning or different things. Um I know we're at the very beginning stages of this, but sort of how do you hope or think perhaps maybe Ownco might kind of shape liminal going forward? Yeah, well, that so another reason for going with Ownco was so liminal wasn't going it alone here. We're part of what's called a founding cohort of 10 other communities that are all running this pilot, this this experiment within their own communities and and they're very very different uh can share a link perhaps afterwards but so one is a gym uh that is owned by its members uh the other is um a vc fund owned by the entrepreneurial community that they're investing in um there's a gender free fashion marketplace owned by the community um that, so anyway there's 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 10 of these things there's a hospitality plan owned by the hosts guests and neighbors of that community a bit like airbnb but sort of owned by the community so interesting and what's what's nice about being part of that founding cohort is we've got to know them they're all pretty interesting companies we can learn from their experience and we already are um but even more importantly ownco are sort of practicing what they preach and giving us tokens the founding cohort in in ownco so if ownco succeeds then we benefit 
not only in the learning, but also, you know, ultimately through tokens, through, you know, fi financial benefit from sharing in the success of Onco. And this is what I'm really excited about. So as much as I value, and I think it's important to recognize the contribution of the liminal community that we've built of 110, 20 or so people, I think at a more macro level, we need to build, you know, a new economic model that distributes the risk, but more importantly, the rewards of innovation and, you know, success when it occurs in different sectors um, more equitably rather than just landing in the laps of a few usually tech bro founders, especially in the tech space, who then become, you know, the billionaire philanthropists um, spraying their money around, um, you know, a few years later. That's just doesn't feel sustainable. So whether it's co-ops, whether it's own co, whether it's a different model, there's a lot of people talking about experimenting around this more kind of co-ownership uh, kind of way of working. And I mean, just on a personal level, I've worked with a lot of tech companies in developing their products and services and platforms and have been a, an early user of many of them. Some, most have probably not succeeded, but a few have done really, really well. And as somebody as who has been a u early user and, and provided a lot of help and support in certain cases, um, uh, we haven't benefited from their success. Um, so Onco is structuring this founding cohort. So if Onco succeeds, we share in their success. And likewise, if Liminal succeeds, the Liminal community benefits from our success as well. So it's kind of creating layers of value um, through, which I appreciate sounds perhaps idealistic. And there's a whole bunch of things which, you know, we, um, we need to figure out as we go. We need to be pragmatic. We need to figure out. Um, you know, how people use this and, and perhaps in some cases how they uh, abuse it. I'm not seeing any of that yet or anticipating too much of that, but um, but that is a possibility as well. So, yeah, that's a tiny bit of context for the wider community that we're part of and, and why I think that's valuable as well. I, th I think that being an idealist is a good thing. And, um, and, I, and I, you know, otherwise... <laughs> Otherwise, people won't take those chances. Um, I think I like that there's the the shared success between the mm. founding cohort and Onco. In particular, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot is um, competition versus collaboration and how that kind of um, dichotomy is in so much of our lives, whether it is professionally, whether it is the way we engage with with people in our lives on a you know one to one basis, or also how we approach problem solving and innovation as an organization, um, and the the more I read and the more I think, the more I firmly believe that collaboration will see much better dividends for for everyone than than competition. Um, then again, I don't do a ton of stuff in the tech space. So maybe in tech, it really does make sense to be more competitive. I don't know. Um, but well, I, I, I really like that. I, I like that too. And it, you know, it comes down to philosophy of life and belief system and maybe political persuasion as well. But, um, I think we've had a real kind of winners takes all kind of, uh, economy in society, mm -hmm. um, for the last 50 years, a hundred years, depending on how you want to how far back you want to go. Um, mm -hmm. I think I think things are changing through necessity, through design, because of the uh, the many crises we're navigating our way through from COVID to, to climate and uh, 
many, many others, you know, the current uh, spike in energy prices due to the uh, the war in Ukraine, et cetera. So, mm-hmm. um, um, so yeah, it, it's, uh, no, nobody has all the answers. I certainly don't. Um, and so, uh, but what is possible and to your six degrees framing for this podcast, um, uh, you know, we're famously six degrees connected from everybody and anybody on the planet that was kind of proven in an amazing experiment back in the 1960s. More mm-hmm. recently, I don't know if you know this, there's been some experiments that says actually it's more like about three and a half degrees of separation or something like that um, because we've become so much more connected over the last few um, decades. So I think what the implications of that connectivity, I think it's always been there, but um, but we haven't been able to use that connectivity usefully because it's just too hard to find an interesting person with a solution to our problem on the other side of the planet until the last kind of couple of decades with, um, you know, the internet and globalization, you know, we, we are literally living on one planet. And so um, much as there can be a negative virus or pandemic that spreads around the, the globe in, in a matter of weeks, um, incredibly positive technologies or innovations can also, you know, have a catalytic impact on our economy, on our climate, um, on our society as well. Uh, in terms of like a positive uh, global impact. So I think, um, uh, yeah, I I think we're in a major period of transition. I would describe myself uh, as idealistic at times, but hopefully pragmatic as well, trying to think about um, wanting to create and build a better world, but also trying to think through the the tricky incentives and technologies and structures that will help us get there. So yeah, we'll see where we land, but that we're always experimenting, always trying to figure out new ways of doing that. I think um, I think that's I think that is the best way to be to be um, idealistic enough that you're that you're going to go for the moon, but hmm. also think about the structure that you're building so that you can also hmm. then come back to Earth when you need to. Um. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you've seen the framing. Do you know Rebecca Solnit, the the author? Have you seen her work? Mm-hmm. Um, she uh, I learned something very powerful from her reading some of her stuff recently, which I don't know if you've seen sort of the difference between hope and optimism. Um, I always used to think of myself as a pragmatic optimist. Um, But uh, the distinction she made between hope and optimism is optimism is passive, but hope is active. So, you know, optimism is like, oh, I just think everything's going to be fine. So I kind of don't need to do anything because everything's going to be fine. Um, And you kind of sit back and just assume all will be well and, and quite possibly will be disappointed. Whereas hope, um, you hope things will be fine, but it impels you to act and do something, try something to, to realize that, that, that more positive future. And so I think that's a really important distinction between active and passive optimism and, and hope. So I would definitely describe myself as hopeful these days more than optimistic for that reason. Oh, I like that. I like that, mm. and I'm um, I'm familiar with her, but not with that writing. So I'm going to have to mm. go look for that, and I I think that that really that really resonates with me. Um, yeah. I'd like to ask you my final question that I ask everyone on this podcast, and was the the you know the impetus for the name, um, and I was wondering if you could tell me someone or some group or uh, some thing that is doing something um really interesting that has you really excited um sure well the thing i'm totally 
obsessed with right now and have been for some time is um, trying to bring some of the uh, the urgency and the focus and the innovation that we saw more than just elements of through the pandemic just a few years ago, but applying some of that thinking um, to the climate crisis. So that so this morning. Um, I had the privilege of joining a session with Kate Bingham, who is reasonably well known in the UK, maybe not outside of the UK, but she was the woman, a VC tasked with running the, the COVID vaccine task force, which which ultimately was successful in producing vaccines in, in unbelievably quick times. And, and she was telling the story this morning in a session that I joined about how they did that. And, and um, to cut a very long story short, they... Um, they were in the midst of a crisis. They mobilized resources. They um, tore up the rule book of how certainly governments do things, um, uh, applied thinking and learning from elsewhere, and, and ultimately were successful against incredible odds. And so mm -hmm. I, I would like to see that level of urgency and a little bit of that thinking applied to climate, which I think many people would agree is an even um, orders of magnitude greater in terms of its impact. Um, and I'm just not seeing enough of that urgency personally, but this is the, the leadership, the activity that we in Liminal are trying to engender through all of our conversations, all of our activities. Um, so yeah, our big our big focus right now is, is helping to build a climate tech supercluster. At the moment, it's focused around the UK and Europe, though of course it's a global challenge, but um, where we think place matters as well. And there's a kind of four hour travel distance from from London, which is where I'm currently based. Um, uh, and some people are trying to rebrand this as the new Palo Alto, which I'm not sure how I feel about that framing, but anyway, there we go. Um, but that four hour radius encompasses most of UK cities, Paris, Brussels, Amsterdam, other places. And there's a huge amount of talent resources. And by pooling those focused around climate innovation, um, uh, it's channeling some of that covid vaccine task force mentality that kate bingham was talking about this morning and that's what i'm particularly excited about right now that's fantastic mm -hmm. i um yeah i i think it, it just it feels like covid was such a um a window or a tipping mm. point or something into um what we can do when mm when we really put our mind to it um, mm. on so many issues. And I just feel like, yeah, we're, we've just reached this moment where, you know, what lies ahead is going to be nothing like what we've, what we've seen before. And, and I, and I am hopeful mm -hmm. that, um, that we learned some things and that mm. it may be rocky, but, but that we're going and that, that the windows were opened, eyes were opened, all of the things and we're going in the right direction. So, um, well, thank you, Roland. This was, this was really fantastic. I appreciate you joining me. Um, I appreciate you inspiring me to start a podcast, <laughs> um, and, um, and to, in, and appreciate you including me in, in liminal it's, I've learned so much and I have really enjoyed the conversations and, and reading so many fascinating articles from people. And mm -hmm. I'm just really grateful for it. So thank you very oh. much. Thank you, Rachel. It's great to have you part of the community. It's great to be first guest on your podcast. And yeah, I really enjoyed the conversation as well. So thank you. Thanks. <laughs>
Thanks for joining me for my first podcast episode. I hope you found it as interesting as I did. Special thanks to Roland Harwood, my guest today. You can find links to the Liminal website and On the Edge podcast and book in the show notes. Additional thanks go to Danielle Brooks, who designed the beautiful cover art, and to Abana Vadva for tech support. You can find both of their websites in the show notes as well. Thanks also to all of my friends near and far who encouraged me to chase this wild idea and start a podcast. Podcast theme music is Strangers in the Night by Vocalista, downloaded from Upbeat.io. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.